remind you or really inform you about one thing and remind you about another before I turn you to God's Word this morning. It will be our privilege next Sunday evening to hear the Word of God opened and preached by Pastor Steve Hartland from Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in Baltimore. Pastor Steve will be preaching at Cornerstone, actually teaching the adult Sunday school next Lord's Day, but then be with us in the evening. It's a wonderful case of timing because uh, the annual board meeting for Midwest Center begins on Monday following next Lord's Day. Um, What I want to also remind you of is that next Sunday evening we will have a congregational meeting, a business meeting, briefer than normal. Uh, Once again, we want to take some moments to give you an overview of what our hopes are with regard to building the new multi-purpose facility. Um, Tim will be presenting a, a, a very brief PowerPoint overview of what we're wanting to construct, how much it's going to cost, And while um, our vote next Sunday evening will not be a final vote, it will be at least a a, a provisional vote that we should proceed in trying to acquire uh, and gather the finances that we need in order to build this wonderful facility. So next Sunday night, Pastor Steve Hartland will preach. We'll be very brief in our singing portion of the worship. We'll go right to the Word, and then afterward uh, we will remain for 45 minutes to an hour at the most for the other matter. Now then, let me ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, though we will be spending more of our time in chapter 14. Now, after some prayer and consideration, I concluded that it would be good for me to come back to the subject of grumbling. One more time, Brother Jeff Cotiller came to me after the sermon Sunday morning, and the first words that came out of his mouth were, I didn't like that sermon. And I knew immediately I was going to have to preach another one on it. (laughs) We used to have a sign in the front um, office that read something like this. The flogging will continue until office morale improves. (laughs) So, if there is any grumbling after this sermon, you know what I'm going to preach on again next week. All kidding aside, after last Sunday's sermon, I did receive what I would have to call an extraordinary amount of encouragement. And I use the word extraordinary on purpose. Your hearts, like mine, were deeply convicted about the sin of grumbling and how God views grumbling. I asserted last Lord's Day morning that every single one of us is a grumbler. We are all grumblers. Some of us are worse grumblers 
than others. Some of us actually have a reputation for being grumblers. Others of us are perhaps a bit more shrewd. We just grumble among our small circle of friends who share our sympathies. But eventually, even that grumbling gets out and often it finds its way to the pastors whose hearts are then saddened and even grieved by the lack of godliness in that area. I want to say to you again this morning, especially for the sake of the many who missed last Sunday morning sermon, we had 20 to 30 families absent. All grumbling is sin. All grumbling is rooted in an attitude. Mom and Dad, you know what attitudes are. You talk to your children about attitudes. I'm talking to you about attitudes. All grumbling is rooted in unbelief. All grumbling is rooted in pride. All grumbling is rooted in ingratitude. All grumbling is rooted in self-love. All grumbling is rooted in impatience. All grumbling is rooted in discontent. All grumbling is hated by God. All grumbling grieves the Holy Spirit. All grumbling makes us unlike the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything I have just said is true even to the grumbling that never makes it out of our mouths. God sees our grumbling body language. God sees our grumbling faces. God sees our grumbling countenance. God sees even our grumbling hearts. Now, last Lord's Day, I tried to do three things. First, I tried to show you from the New Testament that grumbling is strictly forbidden by God. It is one of the thou shalt not sins. I will only quote the two texts that we turned to last Lord's Day morning. Paul said, do all things without grumbling, that is, don't do anything with grumbling, that you may be blameless. So if we grumble, we are not blameless. And innocent children of God. So if we grumble, we are not innocent children of God without blemish. If we grumble, we are with blemish. And the Apostle Paul said, live this way in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. God forbid that our grumbling hearts and grumbling lips should diminish the brightness of the light of our testimony, especially in the world. Speaking of the people of Israel immediately after their exit out of Egypt, and Michael was reading a portion pertaining to that, and speaking of their wanderings in the wilderness, Paul said this, he said, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day, We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, 
and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things, says the Apostle Paul, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let everyone who thinks he stands, even with regard to grumbling, take heed, lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 8-12. through 12. The other passage was from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I just wonder, how many times have you and I grumbled in the last 112 hours of consciousness? 168 hours in the week. We sleep approximately 56 of them. That leaves 112 conscious hours. How'd you do in the last week? How did I do in the last week? How much grumbling? Well, that's the first thing I tried to do. Tried to show you from the New Testament what God says about it. The second thing I tried to do was to show you from the Old Testament several things that are always true with regard to grumbling. And I made these three points. God hears all of our grumbling. We looked at the text that said over and over again, I heard your grumbling. I heard your grumbling. I heard your grumbling. In my hearing, you grumbled. In my hearing, you grumbled. God hears all of our grumbling, even if it doesn't get out of our mouths. Number two, God hates all grumbling. We looked at His anger, His burning anger toward grumbling. And God takes all of our grumbling personally, even if it's directed toward His appointed leaders. God said, as far as I'm concerned, even though you complain to Moses and Aaron, you were grumbling against me, and I take it personally, because I am the God of providence. And the fourth thing we saw is that God is determined to punish all impenitent grumblers, and he did, and he will. And then I concluded by pointing us to our beautiful, precious Savior, who never, ever, ever ever, ever uttered one grumbling word. Now this morning I want to focus a little more on some things that I only mentioned last week. And I, I'm going to confess this to you. Pastor Keith has been helpful to me in this regard. <clears throat> he wisely suggested that I come back to the sins that grumbling is rooted in, grumbling is rooted, the sins and the remedies for those particular sins, because I made mention of them. In fact, I just mentioned them a moment ago. I said, grumbling is rooted in an attitude. Grumbling is rooted in pride. It's rooted in ingratitude. It's rooted in self-love. It's rooted in discontent. It's rooted in impatience and so forth. Well, I want to look at some of these particular sins for a few minutes this morning and I want to suggest, as Pastor Keith suggested to me, <clears throat> what the remedy for these sins is. First, however, what I want to suggest is that all of the manifestations of grumbling, and again, I just mentioned some of them, all of them are rooted in one <clears throat> fundamental sin. If I could use an illustration on a whiteboard or a PowerPoint behind me, I would show a tree growing in soil and 
I would show that tree branching out with impatience, discontent, pride, grumbling, and so forth. And I would show that that tree of grumbling is fundamentally rooted in the, the soil of unbelief. Unbelief. And that's what makes it so horrendously wicked in God's sight. I believe that is one of the, quote, respectable sins. I'm not sure if Jerry Bridges deals with that in that book, but it needs to be if it isn't. Because we think, well, you know, I do grumble some and probably should work on it a little bit. But you know what? Everybody grumbles. You know, life isn't perfect. And I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, but it's, it's not that bad. Oh, wait a minute. Grumbling is rooted in unbelief. And it produces pride. And it produces ingratitude. And it produces discontent. It's a horrible sin because of what it's rooted in. And that's what I want to show you this morning by way of helping us see what the remedy is. Now, let me just prove that to you for a moment. Um, I actually had you turn to Numbers 11, but I think instead I just want you to turn over to 14. Just turn the page one, one page or possibly two. And I want you to notice... What verse 11 says, God is speaking here. And the Lord said to Moses, and here's where God speaks. How long will this people despise me? Now, that's a terrible thing to do to God. Not obey him and have a bad attitude toward him. And how long will they not Believe in me in spite of all of the signs that I have done among them. And just in case you didn't hear this last week, here's evidence how God hates it and is determined to punish it. I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them and I will make of you a new nation greater, greater and mightier than they. And of course, you know how Moses in a Christ-like way, interceded. And God didn't do that, but He killed. He killed thousands. In fact, He killed millions of Israelites for grumbling that was rooted in unbelief because they listened to the report of the ten spies and said, oh, that's too scary. We're not going to go in there where those giants are. We don't have a God big enough to help us with that. Even though He took us out of Egypt, and even though He opened the Red Sea, and even though He caused water to pour out of the rock, and gives us manna every day, and causes a shower of quail to come, we're not sure God's big enough to help us with that. And they grumbled and they grumbled, and God said, basically, I've had it. Everyone, 20 years and older, is staying in the wilderness and you're going to die here and you're not going into the promised land because I hate grumbling, especially because it's rooted in unbelief. And only those 20, 19 and younger made it out of the wilderness. You think God looks at grumbling sort of like, hmm, it's not good, I'd like you to get over it, but it's not that bad? Or do you think He hates it? Well, you know the answer to that question. So, here, God Himself identifies the root of the problem. The root of the problem is they 
will not believe in me. Numbers 11, 11, or 14, 11. Now then, we heard this morning, read well by Michael, some things in Psalm 78. Would you just go back there once more? Now we don't have to spend any length of time there because we have uh, we've seen this and Michael put it in perspective for us. This is the same time frame. But I just want you to notice again verses 18 through 22 and verse 32. They spoke against God saying, this is a challenge. You talk about te- testing God. Start, I, start, I should start with verse 18. I'm sorry. They tested God in their heart. That's where sin starts always. By demanding the food they craved. It doesn't say the food they needed. It's the food they craved. I'm sick of this manna. I'm tired of this. I want something really good. I deserve better. They spoke against God. See, he takes grumbling seriously. As you read it in Numbers and Exodus, they're talking to Moses. And God says, no, it's me. I take it very personally. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Hey, God, are you that big? Are you that strong? Why don't you prove it? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and Streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Can, can you do that, God? Therefore, when the Lord heard, as he always hears our grumbling, he was full of wrath because he always hates our grumbling. A fire was kindled against Jacob and his anger arose against Israel because they did not believe in God. And did not trust his saving power. What is my point? My point is that grumbling is rooted in unbelief. Grumbling is rooted in unbelief. And then in verse 32 again, the inspired psalmist says, In spite of all this, all that God did for them, they still sin. Despite his Wonders they did not believe. And I'm just going to insert an application right here because frankly it's not in my my notes, but it comes to my mind and I think it's worth observing. I want you to keep remembering the bold contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Some of these things our brother Ron is opening up. In the New Covenant, the blessings of the New Covenant are so superior Why did the majority of the Israelites of the Old Testament not love God and walk in His ways and not believe Him? Because they were not truly converted. Because the Old Covenant didn't guarantee the salvation of its members. There's your explanation for Old Testament history. And I said this in the last year or two because it just keeps gnawing away at my thinking. Every time you read the sad history of the Old Testament, if you're a true Christian, you should say, God, thank you so much 
that I am a member of the new covenant because you yourself said in prophecy concerning that covenant that you would write your law on the hearts of all who are in it and that all of them would know the Lord and none of them would have to say to their neighbor, know the Lord. Oh God, thank you that I'm a part of a covenant that secured the blessings and that guarantees the blessings and that will keep His people true and faithful to Himself by their grace. God, it's the only reason I haven't apostatized. It's the only reason. It's because you have made me a citizen and a member of the new covenant community of God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But in spite of all of that, in fact, because of that, I am warranted to say to you this morning, the reason why the Israelites grumbled is because of their unbelief. But listen. Listen, is there a Christian among us this morning who doesn't struggle with unbelief? Is there a Christian among us this morning so proud to stand up and say, my faith is absolutely full and mature and cannot grow anymore? No. And what I'm saying to you, dear people, is the reason why you and I still grumble is the same reason they grumbled. It's the remaining sin of unbelief. And I'll show you in a moment how that works. One more passage, Psalm 106, verses 24 and 25. Just go over a few more pages to Psalm 106. And again, the psalmist is speaking of the same period of time. Notice verses 24 and 25. If we had time to read the context, you would see he's rehearsing all the great things that God did for them. It says this, Then they despised the pleasant land. That would be the land of Canaan. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua said, You're not going to believe what it's like there. We can have it. It's ours. God has already put the fear of us and Him in their hearts. We're going to triumph over them. He's on our side. It's ours for the taking. It's a beautiful land. And the other unbelieving ten said, Oh, no. Yeah, it's true. The grapes are really big, but so are the people. There are giants there. We can't go there. And so they despised the pleasant land. And now look. It says, Having no faith in His promise. He promised to give. That's called the promised land. Why do you think he calls it the promised land? Because he promised to give it to them if they would but obey him and take it. Now notice verse 25. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. You, you kind of see the connection between murmuring and unbelief? So I'm fully warranted to say that all murmuring and grumbling and complaining, and discontent, and attitude, and pride, and ingratitude. They're all rooted in unbelief. Now, I'm, I'm defining unbelief. Now, I'm thinking especially for Christians as an inadequate knowledge of God, particularly His attributes, an inadequate keeping our minds on who God is, an inadequate trust in God, an inadequate 
dependence upon God and an adequate gratitude to God for all that he has done along with an inward sense of our own self-significance and worthiness. That's how I want you to think of unbelief. It's not knowing and loving and trusting God the way he deserves to be known and loved and trusted and served and thanked. And it's thinking how important I am. I'm really pretty significant. I'm worth more than this. I'm worthy of more than I'm getting. See, that's the kind of unbelief that even Christians are guilty of. Now, you see, I'm distinguishing that from the unbelief of the non-converted. The unconverted doesn't merely have an inadequate knowledge of God. They don't have a knowledge of God. They don't merely have an inadequate trust and dependence and gratitude. They have no trust, dependence, and gratitude. I'm talking about unbelief and how it works in the life of a Christian. But if you're not a Christian this morning, know this. You don't have any true faith in God. You don't have any true trust in Him. You're not depending upon Him for your salvation. And obviously, you have no real gratitude for Him. And you do think you're pretty important and you're pretty worthy. But Christians struggle with a lack of the kind of knowledge and trust and dependence and gratitude. And yes, Christians struggle with thinking that they're more significant and more worthy than they really are. And that's what I want us to think of when I suggest that grumbling is rooted in unbelief. You see, that kind of, of an attitude, that kind of unbelief, you know what it does? It does two things. It assaults the character of God and it exalts the worthiness of man. That's really what I just said in a sense. Unbelief assaults the character of God. And it exalts the worthiness of man. And therefore, it becomes the seedbed of all these other sins that I've mentioned. Fear. Craving. Discontent. Pride. Ingratitude. They're all rooted in this unbelief. Let me just explain how that works for a moment. If you're fearful, like the Israelites, you're going to say, we can't take that land of Canaan. By the way, they grumbled to Moses just before the Red Sea was opened. I'm not going to take time to show you. The word grumbling isn't used, but they really gave it to Moses. What would you bring us out here for, to die now? We could have died back there. And he said, stand still and behold the salvation of God. And he lifts up his staff and the waters separate. And we saw last week that it was only 72 hours later that they grumbled. And the word grumbled is used there because the water was bitter. But they were fearful. And in our passage this morning, if you will go back now, please, to Numbers chapter 14. In our passage, they're scared again. And this time, you see, they're scared to take the promised land because of the giants. We, we can't read it. This would be a good Lord's Day activity this afternoon. Go back and read chapter 13 about the spies and coming back and their report and so forth. And so chapter 14 starts out. And says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go. Let's do it. Can you imagine? They were literally thinking about going back to Egypt. Really? How are you going to get there? You're going to have a pillar to lead you? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? And by the way, when you get to the Red Sea, what are you going to do there? And when you get back to Egypt, what are you going to tell Pharaoh? We're sorry, we want to be slaves again. You think he's going to look upon you favorably and treat you well for coming? Really? You really think we ought to go back to Egypt? It was rooted in fear. And fear says God isn't wise enough. God isn't good enough. God isn't powerful enough. I just said to you that unbelief assaults the character of God. Did you see verse 3? Look at it again. Here's what they said. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? It isn't, do you think He might be taking us there so that we will die? No. Why is He taking us there? We're sure He's taking us there so that we'll die. What? One of the commentators I read said, unbelief has a short memory. God really did this whole thing so He could kill you? Really? Why didn't He just kill you in the Red Sea? Why didn't He just kill you in Egypt? Why didn't He just refuse to give you water so that you just all die? Because you can't live long without water. You really think that God wants to kill you? What kind of unbelief is that? In the light of all that He has done for you. That's what unbelief does, dear people. Now, it can't do it in true believers in the same degree and in the same way that it does to unbelievers. But in essence and in principle, that's what it does. It makes us have hard thoughts about God. Maybe God isn't as good as I've heard He is at Heritage Baptist Church. Why isn't He giving me the job I want? Why isn't He giving me the the raise I need? Why isn't He giving me the health I so desire? Why didn't He save my loved one? And it's the old lie of the devil in the garden. You really think, Eve, that a good God would say, no, you can't eat that? Is that a a really good God? You know what, Eve? He's not a good God. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. Oh, yes, that's what he wants. He wants us to be like him. But we have to get like him the way he wants us to be like him. Unbelief assaults the character of God. And that's why it's so serious. And if you are complaining about anything in your life, your job, your home, your spouse, your kids, the climate, the weather, this church, policies, whatever, you are complaining to God and face it. It's unbelief. Do you or do you not believe in the providence of God? If you're a good 
Bible student, you know that God has ordained these things. Then will you just find enough humility to get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. I got a big mouth. I got a bad heart and I got a big mouth. And I need you to forgive me for my grumbling. I grumble about so many things. And that's why I was encouraged last week because so many of you came to me and and joined my confession. And in case you didn't get it clear and those of you who weren't here didn't hear me say, I'm telling you, I'm a grumbler. I'm a sinner. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm preaching to myself. I'm standing here, but I'm sitting down there. We are a bunch of grumblers and so many of you came to me, some with tears in your eyes and others called me this week and said, I was so convicted about my grumbling. And I praise the Lord for that. And I want you to be more deeply convicted because today I'm arguing that all grumbling is rooted in unbelief and unbelief is an assault on the character of God, all of His attributes. But unbelief is also characterized often through a mumbling that craves, craving, craving. Did you see that in verse, in chapter... uh, No, actually, that's back in Exodus. So, no, it's, I guess it is in chapter 11. Yeah, go back to chapter 11, look at verse 4. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again. This wasn't the kind of crying God likes. There, sometimes when He cries, He, as the psalmist tells us, puts our tears in a bottle. You cry about your sin. Don't cry about your conditions. We wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate. Oh, your memory does work. Hmm. Do you remember the Red Sea? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. I'm sick of looking at this manna, supernatural bread, every day of my life. It's gone by nighttime. Go out and there's no bread. Wake up in the morning and it's there. Join the, the, the songwriter and say, great is thy faithfulness. I believe a true Christian, a true believer, and there were true believers. There was the elect within the elect. There was the true remnant. I'll, I'll stake my life on saying that someday we're going to meet people we will, and we're going to meet him. We're going to say, hey, what was it like? And they're going to say, man, I got up in the morning and I said stuff like this. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. You change not. And what we sang this morning. And, and they, they will tell us that when they got up, they said, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Oh, God, look at this manna. But here, here we have what the Bible calls rabble. And the rabble inspired the rest of the congregation. And they're saying, oh, that we had meat to eat. We need more. This isn't enough. God's really not good enough to me. And we, we, like they, forget to distinguish between what we need and what we want. And when you crave something other than holiness and conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, you're probably craving something you don't need. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, Pastor Keith and I were talking yesterday. I said, you know, you'd like to go to them and say, what, could we talk just for a little while what it was like back in Egypt? Because I thought, I thought it was bad. 
I thought the Bible said that, that God heard your cry and He felt compassion for you because you were being terribly treated. Was that a wrong record? Does the Bible call Egypt an iron furnace for nothing? Were you in an iron furnace or not? Unbelief has a short memory. And unbelief has a short memory for us. So if you're complaining this afternoon, you forgot what God did for you this morning. He woke you up. He gave you breakfast. He gave you a house. He gave you clothing. And the list goes on and on. And of course, it all consummates with He gave you His Son. He gave you His Holy Spirit. He is going to give you the renewed earth. And He promises to meet every need you have in your life. And you and I have the gall, the gall, to complain because we have forgotten all that God has done for us. Shame. Shame on us. Grumbling is wicked. It's vile. It's filthy. It's hateful because it's rooted in unbelief. And that's how God sees it. I could go down through the list. Discontent. Pride. Grumbling is, you know, basically saying, God, this is, you know, I deserve better than this. I do. I deserve better pastors. I wish you did have better pastors. But you don't have better, you don't have pastors that are not... How do I put it? <laughs> you got what you deserve, okay? <laughs> you got what you deserve. <laughs> and we have what we deserve. We don't, we don't deserve better sheep than you. You're wonderful sheep. You don't deserve better pastors than we are. I'm not going to say we're wonderful pastors, but we, God has made us your pastors. But pride! Pride! I don't like this! I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. If I was in charge of this, I'd do that, 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 and that. Well, guess what? You're not in charge. God didn't put you in charge, did He? Okay. Just pray for the poor people who are, because they're going to give an account in the day of judgment, and you aren't. You get off. You get a pass on that one. Pride. So proudful. And I do think there's a lot of pride in Heritage Baptist Church. I'm going to say that. I think there's a lot of humility here, too. There's a lot of pride here. The way we look on people who don't believe the way we believe sometimes. The way we look on people who don't live the way we live. I have just heard the most overwhelming sermon that you can imagine from Pastor Gary Hendricks in Mebbin. It is so moving that I'm making copies of it for all the board. And I would recommend everyone in this church to go online. Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Mebbin. And please listen to what he preached two Sundays ago today. Overwhelming. One of the members called me and he said, our pastor couldn't continue in the pulpit for a while. He said he stood there for it seemed like two minutes with a quivering chin. He was so broken about the pride that he believes characterizes Reformed Christians and in particular their church. I was deeply moved by it. I sat in my car last night with tears in my eyes. I was alone waiting for Diane to come home. I said, oh, God, thank you for this. This is so good. Is this church a horribly proud church? No, it's a wonderful church. You're wonderful sheep. You're godly people. 
But am I going to sit up here and tell you I don't think we're a proud people too? No, I'm not going to do that because I'm proud and you're proud and we need to repent of our pride. And our pride is rooted in unbelief. Instead of exalting God, we exalt ourselves. So I could go on with this list. I don't think I should. I want to, I want to bring this to a conclusion. And this is the way I want to do it. <clears throat> if I'm right, that all of these manifestations of grumbling, we grumble in this way, this way, this way, and this way, and this way, uh, all of these manifestations of a grumbling spirit are rooted in unbelief. What do you think the cure is? <laughs> do, you, do you have to be a rocket science? If unbelief is the problem, what do you think the cure is? Duh. Yeah. Faith. Trust. Belief in God. Coming to know God better and better and better in terms of His attributes. Remembering more clearly and more clearly and repeatedly all that God has done for us. Remembering that He has put these people in our lives over us. Our parents. Our employers. Our pastors. And just saying, when we're in the vice, they were in the vice. God put them in the vice. You know, when they were wandering in the water, the only water they could find was terribly bitter. That was, that was from God. Was it wrong for them to say, Moses, we can't drink this water? No, because you couldn't drink it either. And when they got real thirsty and they didn't have any water a little later, was it wrong for them to, to say, Moses, we're so thirsty. What can we drink? No. What was wrong was for them to not say, oh, God, you, you who opened the Red Sea can open the heavens and send rain and you can open the rocks and send water. We know you can. And God, thanks for putting us in a place where we need to fall down on our faces. But great is your faithfulness, oh God, my Father. That's what he wanted them to do. That's what he wants us to do. Faith is the solution to these problems. It's the solution to fear. It's the solution to craving. It's saying, God, if, if I really needed this, you would have given it to me, wouldn't you? I really believe that you're that wise, that if I needed this, I would have it. Now, I'm not sure you don't want me to have it, so I'm going to ask for this, but I'm not going to crave it and be discontented. God, my discontent says, I don't think you're doing a good job. That's what discontent says. I'm not really happy, God. You haven't made me happy enough. It's all about me. I need to be happier. So God, make me happier. And, and you solve my discontent problem by... No, you repent of your discontent and say, God, I have what I need. And I want to be always content with what you choose for me. And I'm going to be thankful for all that you have done. That's the solution to the grumbling problem because that is the solution to unbelief. Now, I, I conclude with this. I brought it again. <laughs> Called Pastor Keith last Saturday night said, Hey, tell me about that Negro spiritual again. You know, you and I, I hear you quote it and I know it's great. Oh, he says, I can find it. He calls me back in five minutes. I got it. I said, Bring it tomorrow. He brought it. This Negro spiritual is based upon theology. Theology? Yeah. It's based on the passage in Isaiah 53 where it says, As a sheep led to the shearer, 
He was dumb. Dumb not in the sense of not smart. Dumb in the sense of he didn't open his mouth. He never opened his mouth. He didn't say, you can't do this. He could have. Jesus was passively obedient and went to the cross and never, here's the words, he never said a mumbling word. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to abbreviate it this time. They led him to Pilate's bar. Not a word, not a word, not a word, not a word. They led him to Pilate's bar. Not a word, not a word, not a word, not a word. They led him to Pilate's bar. But he never said a mumbling word. And they went on and they had verse 2, which says, They all cried, crucify him. Not a word, not a word. They all nailed him to the tree. Not a word, not a word. They pierced him in the side. Not a word. He hung his head and died. Not a word. Wasn't that a pity and a shame? He never said a mumbling word. How about you? How about me? And I just commend him to you again this morning. The reason he can pay for all of your grumbling and my grumbling is because he never said a mumbling word. If Jesus had grumbled once, no Savior. No Savior. And guess what? He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be in Him, and He wants us to be like Him. And your pastors want Heritage Baptist Church to be characterized by humility and patience and kindness by not complaining, not grumbling, no pride. Bunch of Christians that love God, trust in His providence, and love one another. That's what will make our Christianity look really, really good to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, our hearts are convicted. We are grumblers. I am a grumbler. These sheep are grumblers. You've heard it all. You hear what isn't even audible. You see into our hearts. You see the unbelief and the pride and the ingratitude and the craving and the impatience and all the rest. You see the rolled eyes. You see the shaking heads back and forth. Oh God, we thank You that we're sin abounds. Grace does much more abound because of our Savior. We thank You that there is infinite value in the atonement. Lord Jesus, thank You for living a perfect life and thank You for never speaking a mumbling word on our behalf. Help us to be like You. We trust in Your atonement. We flee to You. You are our hope. But we also know You want us to be like You. And so we pray, grant us grace to sweetly submit and trustingly rely upon our wise and good and kind and gracious God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
If you would find your blue sheet and the uh, song, Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, on the blue sheet. And let's look to the second verse. And we'll sing the second verse and the third verse seated. <clears throat> 